Action Park Media. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glut. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. Ladies and gentlemen, the man, the myth, the legend, Mike Isratel. But there's a twist. Mike Isratel will be interviewing me. I did a post a while back on Instagram uh, where I talked about some of the uh, psychological stuff that I that I experienced on a daily basis um, that I could associate with my weight, and Mike asked me, "Have you ever discussed this in depth?" And I and I said, "No, I haven't." And he said, "Well, I have questions for you," and I said, "Great." I'm not going to waste my time answering your questions on a phone call. Let's do a podcast. So here he is for maybe his fifth appearance on our show, and we are quickly becoming the Corys in real life. I bring you Mike Isratel interviewing me. Dr. Mike Isratel, welcome to American Glutton Podcast. You're the most recurring guest I've ever had. That sucks. It's like a recurring infection. It's the greatest thing. It makes me so happy. Yeah, you show up to your doctor. He's like, you got Mike Isratel again. And I just think you're not washing your hands enough. That's po- probably true. Mm. Um, how did? What is the genesis of this one? I made a post that talked about um, something psychological that I was dealing with uh, years ago while I was much over, much more over fat than I am now. I like that term. Yeah, I know. I've, I've stolen it from you. I've appropriated Thank it. Thank you. That's fucked up. And then you said, have you ever, has anybody ever talked to you about this stuff, which hadn't happened? And so that's what we're doing today. Yeah. Yeah. So today we flip the script and I interview you. Yeah, I love it. I'm very I'm You very say you love it now, this. but you haven't heard these questions yet. I know. But we could say moments ago we talked shit to each other and it was pure joy. It was great. Yeah. I feel like I feel like you've got you've saved the real stuff for this. Yeah. And this is really stuff for me to tell my grandkids like back in my day I talked smack straight to a Hollywood celebrity. <laughs> He didn't have shit to say back either. Yeah, I didn't. Um, We can go full depth here, yeah? Yeah, we can talk about whatever you want. I'm just going to start ratting these off. And if I have any sub-questions, I'll keep going. Sure. Cool? Yeah. Did you like food as a kid? And what kind of food memories can you share with us that really stick in your mind as like, like I have food memories as a kid of like my first trip to McDonald's in Moscow, Russia or whatever. Uh, what do you, how did you think about food as a kid? Did you like food as a kid? Was it a big part of your life? Was it kind of like, Oh, I was just a kid and it was fuel. What do you think? No. Um, yes. I liked food a lot. I, I, my first memory of food strangely is, um, 
the first time food was restricted. And mm. and it's somewhat bizarre also because I also remember the thing that was being restricted was my favorite food, which was lasagna, specifically my grandfather's lasagna. I can't... I was five, so I don't know how many times I'd had that. They lived in Vermont. I lived in Los Angeles. But I had clearly had it before because I remember being really excited. The house, I went to visit them and it was just me alone with my grandparents for the first time. And uh, and I got a small serving and I went to get another serving and I was told no. Age five. Age five. So, mm. you know, my... Obviously, my relationship with food became very weird, and there were points. I, I became uh, super interested in cooking at one point. As a kid? No. Okay. N- never as a kid. As a kid, I I loved food, and I think that the, the fact that it, it began being withheld from me at a young age um, s- s- altered my relationship with it. How? Um, to your best ability to speculate. Yeah. I believe that, and it started right then. Um, first of all, this had two effects. I was let to know that there was something wrong with my body. Which, Implicitly or explicitly? Explicitly. Oh, wow. I was fat. Uh, Who said this to you? My grandparents. It was a failing of my parents. They said this. Um and that I had to get, to, I had this had to be taken, this had to be controlled. Something had to be done. So I had this thing that I loved withheld from me. And I found immediately, in fact, that night as I was clearing the table, that I could sneak this. And so as I'm Jeez. clearing the table, I'm taking handfuls of lasagna off my grandparents' plate and shoving it in my mouth and dry swallowing without chewing much just because it was like I really want this forbidden things become more desired too especially when you're a kid yeah so I think that was kind of how my relationship with food progressed and did your grandparents continue to be a part of your childhood for for some time yes uh but I was only with them for like two weeks at that point but I I will say the difference between this was like um day one. I, I get there late at night, kind of a blur. Day one is magical in my memory. I'm outside playing all this stuff. They suggest a walk. We walk down to a cemetery. This is how I remember it. <laughs> to a but, cemetery. But anyway. like it's... You're going to be here if you keep eating, you fat fuck. <laughs> well, the, it wasn't... It didn't take that turn until dinner. <laughs> sure. But at dinner... Like, literally, my memory is this fairy book thing of, like, the cemetery was even alluring on day one. And on day two, when I was awoken and told, no, you must go on this walk every day down to the cemetery. The cemetery, in my memory, becomes this dark and scary thing that I don't no longer want to walk to. And nothing to do with the death or whatever. It's just that you have to do this thing because you're broken somehow. Yeah. Good God. And did they have an influence on how your parents were treating your food environment? Did they kind of nudge them to be like, oh, get this kid reined in? Yes. And it was not super obvious at first um, because I don't think my parents 
my parents certainly didn't communicate with me this the way that my my grandparents were very curt and blunt Mm -hmm. about it you're fat your parents have failed uh something must be done about this my my parents go to um was we're all just going to eat healthy now so it's just going to be healthy food in the house did your parents struggle with weight at all or no uh eventually my mother did but not not at the time not at the time and uh do you have any siblings or anything that struggle with weight or eventually she did too but not at the time okay i i i I mean and for her it took a while you know 10 years of me constantly being on a diet um and then suddenly she started gaining weight Mm -hmm. um and similarly with my mom Everybody was kind of fine, but these impositions were at first placed on the household. Like, we're going to go see a nutritionist. The nutritionist is going to tell us what to eat, then we're just going to all eat this way. So it's not just pointed at you. What did you think about it at the time? Were you kind of like, I guess this is what's happening? Or were you like, do you have any kind of like um, a perception of value around it where you were like, this is not good i've been bad i've been good why is this happening i just want to eat food what are your thoughts on the matter i really just felt like there was something wrong with me don't go anywhere we'll be right back and that i I didn't feel like it was a punishment but i felt like it was a constant um effort to fix or solve me and so you know, the whole household was on the candida diet, and then the whole household... Were you eating only candida fungus? <laughs> Basically. Could you imagine that? <laughs> you know, I, I went to, um, I forget if it was Japan or China, but in one of those countries where uh, gluten was just an item on a menu. Yeah. And I was just like, they're trying to fucking kill me. <laughs> These people, they know. Nowadays, you'd probably try it and be like, ooh. I would eat that gluten and cover yeah. it with MSG. What's that called? Satan? Satan? Yeah. Hail Satan. Yeah. Um, okay. What about physical activity? What are your early mem- early memories there? And do you remember liking physical activity? Is there a time you didn't like it? Did it feel like something someone was forcing you to do? Did you like to play physically outside, friends, blah, blah, blah? What do you think? The minute there was attention put on my body, I was kind of not interested in physical activity. And, 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 and I've gone through... Um, old pictures and there's just uh it's it's bizarre to to see and it's a very young age if we're talking about like five years old how active i appeared to be and then even if just looking at pictures of me at the beach the the shirt comes in where i'm wearing a shirt at the beach and whose idea was that I cannot imagine my parents saying, don't take your shirt off. So whatever instinct in me that was telling me, don't take your shirt off, occurred around five years old when there was first um, attention put on my body and and it suddenly became this thing of like, there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I really shut down to all physical activity after that, I just was no longer interested in doing active things. Trippy. Yeah. If you can remember, and I sure as fuck can't remember the shit about my childhood. I swear to God, I was like a slow kid or something. I barely remember anything. But 
was there a sensation in which your uh, your sort of dereliction to be of normal size was foisted upon you unbeknownst to you? Or was it that once it was foisted upon you, you were kind of like, yeah, I kind of was thinking that too. Or upon examining it, you were like, I do agree. Because like, so for me, I had an attention deficit disorder. I was basically academically useless until I was age 15. And I knew there was something wrong with me. It's not like my parents were like, do better at school. And I was like, fuck school. I was like, I try, but I can't. I, I know I'm broken. Where were you on that? Were you like, when it was sort of, you were made aware of the fact that your body was kind of the wrong shape for your parents or grandparents' wishes, were you like, yeah, no, I feel that? Or were you like, what the fuck? Like, what, do you remember any of that? Or what? I remember very much having no sense of my body at all. And then you were fucking five and who kind of five year old has a sense of their body. Yeah. Like I had never considered, Oh, this thing. I, it just was like, uh, the, the, I very clearly remember, um, becoming aware of my body in, in association with the wrongness of it. And, And that's how you were introduced to body awareness. Yes was there's something wrong with your this thing that you're carrying around called your body, which prior to that um, I truly was not aware of. So I, I kind of always just felt like there was this problem. I was never once... Um, I was n- never once really interested in solving this problem until I was an adult. So you never, as a child, you never bought in. You were like, no, people are right. I'm too fat. This has to stop. Like you were like, fuck, why is everyone on my ass kind of thing? Yeah. Fuck. Why is everyone on my ass? And I didn't say fuck. Cause you didn't know that word. No, no. But I also, it, there was almost like a resignation of like, um, this is, this is this is what it is hmm. and uh i don't i don't think any of this was like analytical thought uh but my instinct was to rebel and sneak food mm-hmm. but it how did it feel to do that it was kind of exciting hmm. you know like i i i remember i got one spanking as a kid because my dad caught me in the kitchen eating a hot dog after dinner. It's like a pot of hot dogs uh, boiling. Um, and we had eaten dinner, and then I was in the kitchen, you know. Who the fuck was making boiled hot dogs after dinner? That's really no, a logistics no, th- th- problem. This was like, they, what? yeah, whatever. I, in clearing my plate, noticed that there were a couple hot dogs left in the pot. Ah. And I was eating one. I got in trouble and I got a spanking and then I took the whole pot and threw it on the ground. Like, um, I, I, I have a very clear memory of that. Um, that was probably like upon my return from Vermont. Sure. So if you can remember that meal or similar meals, you were allowed a certain time to eat, which was to say dinner time or lunchtime. You were also restricted, I assume, in the amount of food you could eat during that time. So what is whatever mom and dad put on your plate and that's it? There was no seconds or extra or anything? Yeah. That was that was that was pretty much it until we started 
down the road of this isn't working. Mm-hmm. Let's look for other solutions. And the other solutions tended towards the food types or sure. my blood type or cracking the code. Yes. What's wrong here? Because restricting the food isn't working. <laughs> you should have been like, well, actually you're not successfully restricting shit. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that all of that, I, and I've had this thought a lot, like how, why didn't I just get on board? Why wasn't it explained to me in a way that I could just get on board with it as a kid? And I have no memory of the attempt to explain it. I don't remember like somebody sitting down and going like, you're tending towards overweightness. You're already overweight and you continue to gain weight. Um, I, I, I was not on board. I remember the one time I was on board, I was 10 mm-hmm. and uh, I was put on something called OptiFast. I know about them. And... Uh, it's got fast right in the name. Yeah. And I and and I actually saw changes and I wasn't cheating on it. Mm. And it was kind of mindless and simple. Did you like the changes? I just remember having success. So I think I liked more like because that there was a very structured weigh-in thing. Like mm. you go the and, social reward. Yeah. And mm. and people were so happy, you know. I don't remember ever having to weigh in in front of my parents at home. They never made me do that. That's good. Yeah. Um, but I but I but I don't know how they were tracking my weight or if it was just like through what they saw. Um, but this OptiFast at 10, I'm getting on a scale. I'm sticking to it and it's successful. I'm losing weight and I'm there with a bunch of random adults. There were no other kids on it who are all watching me weigh in and all like cheering. Nothing wrong with that situation. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I did that for a few weeks and was like really feeling proud because I was making headway. And then because the adults were happy, the adults were happy. And then something occurred. I, I even remember doing like group therapy type, type, like talking about food with adults and kind of not. How old were you? 10 fuck not really understanding like what do i say hey i'm doing this and i'm happy you guys cheered for me this is great and then my there was something about it that my mom was like this isn't right for kids she's probably right (laughs) you're not doing this anymore (laughs) that was the one successful moment with dieting in my childhood that was then stripped away from me and i was like wait i'm allowed to drink these motherfuckers are giving me diet soda and I'm not miserable. Mm-hmm. I'm like I wasn't. I wasn't mm-hmm. you know, shockingly enough, I wasn't miserable doing this thing and I'm getting cheered on yeah. at the and you fucking were meeting location. your basic needs and stuff. So. Whatever was happening, it all seemed to be successful and then I remember this day of like, no, I actually am happy to do this. Don't take it away and but it was taken away. So you didn't want it taken away. No, I think a lot of my life was like people taking shit from me. And uh, maybe that informs me a little bit politically today or sure. my life where I'm just like, don't force people to do shit. External control. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, juicy subject incoming. Okay. Body image into your teenage years. Maybe you could 
tell the listeners a bit of how, like, what you were up to as a teen? Because you had a bit of an unorthodox teenagehood. Yeah. You know, with Epstein's Island and all that. Oh, yeah. Uh, subject zero, Ethan Suplee. Right. Um, but on a serious note, you know, you... Because um, you have an interesting um, intersection there with... Eventually, I'll ask a question about how the Hollywood shit played in. Sure. But uh, just to maybe your sort of age 10 to age 13, 14, 15, that's usually when I, th- I believe we see in the literature, like um, an adult-like uh, body image starts to come into people's awareness. Because you're know, like 10-year-olds, like, you're like, what's your body look like? They're like, I don't know. They draw like a stick figure. <laughs> like, right. That's what I thought my body looked like when I was 10. So at some point, there's like uh, kind of an in- enhanced awareness. Um uh, tr- sexual attraction comes into the picture. Sexual awareness comes into the picture. What uh, what was that like for you? Um. So I, I remember the first girl who I ever thought was cute, and and you know, it was, there was a there was just a deep sense of not belonging so there wasn't even like she doesn't belong around me the great ethan Sibley, future hollywood superstar. yes of course right i i didn't feel that i fit into you know i actually think that it's a good thing that there wasn't like an incel movement when i was 12 years <laughs> it's old it's a good thing for everyone because i feel like i feel like not that i think they're right but i can totally empathize with this idea of like feeling utter powerlessness and also no 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 area to be to exist with other people specifically with girls i I imagine lots of 12 year olds feel like this maybe not maybe no other 12 year olds feel this Uh, i sure as hell did i don't know yeah this this scott the sound guy probably did pretty well at age 12 yes he looks he looks like the kind of creep that did you know yeah yeah he he was getting all the chicks at 12 (laughs) Um, that was his uh, peak of his life, actually. Yeah, it was all downhill after. It was there was a very uh, there was a lot of just feeling like hopelessness around attraction to the other sex. Sure. Like you weren't in the candidacy pool of anything that would be considered. I felt like I was so far outside of the candidacy candidacy pool. Um, yeah, but I didn't even feel like I was within the candidacy pool of like having a bunch of friends at that. Age. No shit. Yeah, I, I like make a friend and like really cultivate that friendship because the idea of having lots of people really opened up the uh, idea that somebody's going to point out why are we friends with this fat guy. Also, you were aware of it on that level. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Did you have any um? Do you have anything you remember from your childhood, like uh, like burn scenarios where somebody you know, in your age category brought the fatness to yours or everyone else's attention? I have like the, this is ridiculous, but I have this thing on my ear, which is like the tiniest little node nodule thing. And, like my grandpa had it too. And it was described to me as a child. And my grandpa was like this great man. He was like a, a, a pro boxer or something in Russia. And it was described like, oh my God, you have this thing too. Like you're going to be great too. And I'm like, well, what up? I was like nine. I was like, sweet. And then like, when I was 10, uh, in elementary school, kids start first noticing shit like that. And, a, like, a bunch of kids just made fun of me. Like, what the fuck's wrong with your ear? And I, like, you know, when you're 10, I was like, oh, 
I'm broken. Yeah. And it really, really hurt me. Did, did you have a, like a, rem- a memorable set of scenarios like that for your body? There was, there was one that have one memory of this and it was, it's always like, I've always thought it was the strangest reaction. I was actually having a fist fight with my man. Guy. And um, I assume you won that fight. Well, I was winning and the kid I was winning against was older than me but i was winning and he called me a fat ass in the midst of this fight interesting logic and it was like kryptonite damn it ruined me i I like had to walk away and cry so he kind of won that he lost the fight but won the confrontation on words he was like a proto rapper yeah basically damn do you want us, myself, Charlie, and Jared to find him now and hurt him badly. Desperately. Great. That would be amazing. I'm, I think we're overqualified to do that. Yeah. It turns out he's like in the UFC and we're like, oh, oh shit. shit. That was the guy. Like, he, he really thought he lost that fight, so he just went and started training right after. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you, so when he said that to you, how old were you at the time-ish? Oh, 12. 12. And it, it fucking stung. Uh-huh. Bad. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's not that I hadn't ever been called fat before. I, I, I remember uh, being around little kids. Um, I, I, I would uh, walk around the entire school to avoid having to go anywhere near the little kids because the little kids would say fucking it. animals. Yeah, they would just say it. So if I was with another person and we had to walk by the little kids, it happened a couple of times and I would just pretend not to hear it. Shit. Yeah. But it hurt. Oh, yeah. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Body image, self-image, and acting. How did you, you know, I don't know if you've spoken at length about this anywhere else. I sure as hell have never heard it. Mostly because I find you boring. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and fat. <laughs> I'm the guy you All fought, Ethan. Things. I'm yeah. that guy. Yeah. Um, what was that like? So, so here's my supposition. Please feel free to correct an entire sure. story. If I had, uh, I did have very low self-esteem when I was your age. Uh, if someone, I remember one time, uh, back when I was a, a younger kid, I was like 15 and I was like very good looking for a 15 year old. I had a gentleman, uh, give me a card for a modeling agency. And my mom had been approached before, like for me to pose for like, be like the kid doing math in the math book. And he, he gave me a card. He's like, you got a really good look, like hit us up. And my self-esteem was so low that at, when, as soon as he walked out, I just threw the card in the trash. Cause I was like, I'm a piece of shit. I'm not qualified to be doing modeling. That guy's like, I was like, clearly he was pulling my chain. Also like, it was like, um, I sort of knew him through like swimming and stuff. And I thought he was like certainly gay. And I thought he was hitting on me. And you know, when you're 15 and it's the nineties, you're like, Oh, you know, gay men are going to kidnap me or some right. stupid shit. So I just, it, I didn't have the requisite self-esteem to even remotely try something like modeling or anything like that. And you got into acting. How did that work? Okay. Um, I, the, I had very little, um, praise as a kid. Um, and I was in a school play. First of all, there was a, an actor at my school, like a professional actor, but a kid actor. So like somebody who just went on a nasty downhill spiral. I'm just kidding. No, he's actually doing great today. But, but, but like my first, um, encounter with this was, knowing this kid Mm -hmm. 
uh, being aware of him. And then he was in your grade. He was like maybe a grade higher than me. And no interactions with him personally? Or no, I, I had some interactions. He was cool with you or no? Totally cool with me. Super, Super cool. nice That's guy. That's nice. Yeah. And I, and I, but I saw very, very fast that he was not recognized at all for himself. That he was recognized as this separate thing, being an actor. Huh. So... The, there was a detachment from the attention he got was 99.9% based on this other thing that had nothing to do with him, uh-huh. really. Sure. Um, and, and I think that was the first thing that I thought, what a great distraction. Because nobody is talking to this guy or aware of him for anything to do with him it's this completely separate thing that is so materialistically surface that it's drawing all the attention away and you wanted that i thought it was such a like a magical um disguise Mm -hmm. um so i first became aware of that with him and then i did uh, a school play and had lame um, <laughs> yeah i mean but i had a lot of you volunteered to is it was it mandatory was, everyone had it to was do mandatory it? Oh. everyone in the grade had to do something. Ah, the 90s yeah i did this thing i got to wear a cape nobody could see my body um <laughs> and it was like hey did you volunteer for that role no, but when the role was brought to my attention, the 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 only version I had ever seen was a movie. It was Oliver Twist, and mm. it was Mr. Bumble, and he had this long coat on, which like the old timey coat that almost looked like a cape. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm just gonna wear a cape, uh, and and I can do this because you won't be able to see me. Um, and then I got praised for that like i i got attention which was nice Um, for doing a good job in the play yeah so that was like my second little experience with going like hey i did this and got praised for it that feels good uh and it has nothing to do with me it's got nothing at all to do with me so why was that pertinent to you why you keep bringing that up as that's a good thing. Why was that a good thing for you? Because the, um, whether it was my perception or reality, largely the attention I got was negative. Sure. And I felt very bad. I felt like I was, there was something not right about me. So I did not want attention about me. You're like, so this whole Ethan Suplee character I've been playing kind of sucks it's awful let me see if i can play somebody else yeah huh and create this thing where it has nothing to do with me and so if you're experiencing that fine because it's not me sure how old were you during this play during the premiere of this play 14 14 and then how did that lead into acting so 14 uh I also um, became just, like, so unwilling to, uh, I don't know, 
I, I stopped going to school. I would refuse to go to school. I would at home. Yeah, I would play hooky. I would. What's hooky? Just not showing up for school. I okay. would be. My mom would say, "I'm driving you to school," and I would get in her car, and I would have these plans, and and um, you know, at a certain freeway off ramp, I would just get out of her car. And what? Away. Yeah, I got arrested um, buying for... dr- buying drugs in a in MacArthur Park. When I was very young, is that a seedy park? Yes, it's a it's a no shit bad news park in downtown Los Angeles. I think I was twelve. Twelve. Yeah. Oh, I had a whole sequence to these questions that you fucked up with your drug history. (laughs) Um, Let's keep going on the acting thread. You okay? So you you didn't like school. Why didn't you like school? Was it the people there or the fact that the teacher was telling you to write boring numbers in your notebook? I don't think it had anything to do with that because I actually didn't have a real issue with scholastics. I I enjoyed writing numbers in a notebook and reading. I just figured you're not that smart. I figured you'd hate school. I, I, I did hate school, but I, I think I hated, um, I don't know, I don't know why, I, I hated being around people and I was just miserable at school because of the people, the social situation. Yeah. I think that's a lot to do with it. I, I, I wanted to seem tough to be left alone. I wasn't actually tough at all. Um, uh, it just felt exhausting to me to, to have to go and, um, and play this make believe thing that I was still being judged as me. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you weren't a big fan of what was going on on the inside, and then you would show up to school, and you would have to play this character actor of yourself, which you fucking hated. So it's kind of like, why the fuck am I here? If I just ditch this whole thing, then I won't have to have these emotions around it. Yeah. Is that an accurate sort of summary? Yeah, that seems accurate. And, and, uh, And I also... Um, had gotten so accustomed to lying to my parents at that point. About what? Mostly food, um, but then also drugs. Um, that uh, that I, I just I you know I think at a certain point I I was no longer really participating as like whatever the base minimum is to have a relationship with somebody i was not buy-in yeah there was no buy-in for me at all I, you were checked out i was a piece of shit i was right. gonna do bad stuff because you know that's what i had become accustomed to doing okay and so okay so you you weren't going to school much where did the acting start to thread in there because you started acting in your teenage years right yeah, yeah. uh I have a hard drive of your old teenage acting that I every now and again peruse. <laughs> it's nothing. It's nothing. It's a couple terabytes. It's right. nothing major. Yeah, it's a couple terabytes. It's quite a bit of. It's just really high quality digital information. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I think I ran into that guy who I knew as an actor from school uh-huh. once I was out of school, and he said. Out of school and since that you graduated? No, or? that I just wasn't. Oh, I, I see. No longer, no longer attending. attending. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, I, I would be willing to bet that his 
he was just like, we need to find something for this guy to do because he's on a bad path right now. And he, he was a little older than me. And he said, you know, I think about that play that you did that I saw. You were great. You should write really consider acting he's a fucking super nice guy super you nice owe this guy. motherfucker yeah, big yeah and uh and i was like really what's that and he was like well i have an acting class i go to an acting class and and it, it's really helpful to figure out how to do it and um and so i you know i i had to get permission because they were not accustomed to taking people my age it was like an adult acting class wow but they allowed him to go even though he was a couple years older than me sure um, you know, and I guess at the time, like 18 is a big deal when you're talking about like a 15, 16 year old kid, that's yeah. a huge age gap. Yeah. So developmentally relevant. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I had to get permission, uh, and I got permission and I went and I was doing this acting class with, uh, with a bunch of adults and really permission from your parents, permission from my parents and permission from the school. And it. So, okay, you, we got to pause here. Yeah. Your parents, to some extent, knew you were derelict in your school responsibilities. And your school clearly knew something about it. Yeah. But they were okay with you taking the acting class? Was there a pushback of, like, you better go to school and you're going to talk about acting? The Going back to school was a non-negotiable thing. I was not going to go back to school. So wow. the the, uh, the the way that was solved was I went and got my GED. Interesting. Yeah. At age 15. That's actually kind of impressive. It was the easiest fucking test. <laughs> That's because you're smart. <laughs> it was so, I mean, I thought it was a joke. I was like, this is a fucking, this tells I me. I would have failed at age 15. <laughs> it was, it was pretty easy. Uh, I didn't study for it. You just showed up and you're like, I know enough things. I said, well, I said, they said I had to do this uh-huh. or go back to school. Let me do this. And I passed. I, I don't know that I passed. With, I don't know actually that I passed with screaming colors, with flying colors or whatever. But I got a certificate. Well, yeah, that's the idea of a G, to a, yeah, the, the idea of that sort of certification is that you just pass, pass, fail. Right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, can you imagine someone's interviewing for work? You're like, well, I have a GED. He's like, well, how well did you do on the test? <laughs> uh, okay, so you took a GED, and your parents and your school were like, okay, fuck off, go act. But yeah. Your parents were like, here, we'll we'll sign you up for this acting class. Yeah. And how yeah, frequent were the classes? couple times a week, two times a week. And how long were they each time? A few hours. Okay, so it was a serious thing. It yeah. wasn't just like lollygagging. No, no, it was real. And this was like true like sort of thespian art where they were teaching you to act. Like it wasn't like a community involvement class. It was like acting. It was acting and it was um, it was a beginner class. So there weren't like a bunch of professional actors sure. in my class. But the kid I knew who was in the advanced class was in a class with real actors, like movie actors. Sure. Like you'd go, they would do occasionally like uh, a scene that was particularly good from some class. They would then go like, this should be displayed for all the classes and they would work on it and oh, wow. show a 20 minute scene as though it was a play. And you'd go in and you'd watch like legit movie actors doing a scene from some random play. Did you have, um, you have any memories of like, famous people shock where you were like what that's what's his name or what's her name or I, you were just like Man. yes no at that point in my life anyone who had ever been on tv once even if i had no idea what their name was but sure. i was like oh that guy was on an episode of law and order right was mind-blowing to me at that point 
to, you know, my wife and I, Law and Order is our favorite show. And if we saw that person, we would be over the moon. Yeah. Like, oh my God, you were great. Episode 97. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That's how I felt too. Sure. Okay. Um, and then once you got into the acting classes, I assume you had talent for it or was it a struggle? I struggled there too. Um, cause you were just a piece of shit. I, no, <laughs> no, I, I had, I had, uh, I had the same note from the teacher over and over again, which was, I would put up a scene with other people and the teacher would kind of get to me. And I don't know if he, he was like, this kid's 15. What am I going to say to this kid? Here's, we've got some obese 15 year old kid. This is ridiculous. He probably didn't use that word. That's really offensive. He definitely didn't <laughs> use that word. But my note, I think a few times was, I don't know what to say about this. Do it again. And I would just be like, fucking gave my scene partner a bunch of stuff. And I would wind up arguing with the guy. Huh. Um, so like, he didn't give you concrete feedback. I wasn't getting con concrete feedback. No. I was getting a lot of like, I need to see this again. And so I'd do it again. And then I'd get like, that was really good. And I'd get some notes. But I Just you personally? Or was, it, was he critiquing the whole scene and all the actors involved? No. The adult actors who I was doing scenes with were getting legit notes, I felt. So maybe you were just really good and he didn't want to tell you that shit. Because, you know, when you can't critique someone, a lot of times it's because they're nailing it. You just want, don't want to puff up their ego. Maybe. I don't know. I, I was frustrated in acting. Interesting. Class. Yeah. How did that lead to acting acting? I, a, a year into this class, I got that note again and I was just kind of like, I'm just going to go try to learn acting by acting. And, um, this is your idea to do. I was kind of like in a fuck you state. Sure. Um, and my first day of auditions, I basically got both jobs I auditioned for. I told you you had fucking talent. I don't know that that's true. I think I was a very unique looking person. Ethan, we live in America. There's 500 trillion people that look like you. There were not a lot of obese teenagers hmm. um, trying to get sitcom acting work in the early 90s. Interesting. Yeah. And then once you got those roles, it was kind of snowball situation where you had a resume at that point, references, and people kind of knew, oh, that guy, get him in here for this casting call situation. Or did you have to push yourself for a while longer? It, no, it was fairly quick. Okay. Yeah. After I mean, to, fairly quick to the point where um, the first audition I went on, I got a job, uh, and then just worked for 30 years. Damn. 20, and here we 27 are. 27 years. Sure. Okay. So let me make sure I have these questions aligned properly because there's some stuff I want to go back to if that's okay. Sure. Um, your body image during your teenage acting Tell, tell me about that. Like when you, let's just forget about acting school for a sec and get into when you started getting some roles. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you like that success? Do you think it reflected well on you? Did that change your body image at all? Or being like, I'm fat fucker who gives a shit cause I'm getting these roles or were you like, I'm getting these roles. This is great. 
but I still fucking hate how I look. What? Where? Where were you with all that? I did not. I did not think like that. I um. I think I had a sense of uh, who I had a sense of who I was, and there was no sense that this was a changeable condition. Um, I, the first season, the first show, TV show I did was a show called Boy Meets World, and I've never seen it. I, I don't blame you. I'm just kidding. It's, of course, I've seen it. It's a uh, between the first season and the second season my agents or it might have even been um towards the end of the first season at uh-huh. some point while doing that early on my agents got a call from the producers and my agents called me and said you don't need to gain weight for this and and it's an odd thing to say yeah well apparently i was gaining weight i was not aware of this sure. at all You're like and- i think i'm just growing up <laughs> And when when they said that to me, I was like, "Okay." Like, I'm, was that a nice way of them saying, "Don't get any fatter"? But they didn't say, "Don't get any fatter." They just said, "You don't need to gain weight for this." And so, for me, this was just a kind of um, reassuring me that there is something wrong with my body because i'm certainly not trying to gain weight sure i'm just living i'm not thinking about that at all i have a sense that there's something wrong with me i have a sense that i again well this is just a permanent state that i exist in and so it's then Mm re-solidified like yes of course i know yeah there's something wrong old news yes this is not informing me of anything but it didn't, you know, I wonder if they had said he needs to lose weight, if that would have had a positive effect, maybe. Or a negative effect. I don't know. Hollywood or some shit. Maybe. And so you took this as a relatively neutral statement of kind of a old news, old news. Like, yeah. Okay. This and then you just kept back. surprising. Acting. Yeah. Okay. I didn't change anything. Okay. And then uh, up until age 19, 20, you dealt with your body as just this kind of like sort of walking old news liability like maybe how someone who like has no use of their legs treats their condition of like hey you know you're in a wheelchair like yeah i fucking know i'm in a wheelchair like yeah i don't think about it often and whatever and i fucking don't like it but it's what it is what it is yes and i also found um magically that um all the wonderful aspects to acting that were a shield against me were a distraction against me were equally valid with other famous people. So if I had other famous people around me, it was just this fucking force field of like acceptability. Um, By them or by other people watching you guys by other, it was my perception was that I belonged if I was an actor and I was surrounded by other actors mm-hmm. because they have value. There's something valuable sure. about them. Belonged in the grand sense. Of yeah. Feeling like you belong. Yeah, like going out to a bar uh-huh. or going out to a nightclub. Well, you were age 15 through 20 here, Ethan, so you... I know, we did that. Unbelievable. There was, there was not... Um, 
this was not something I would have ever felt confident enough to do yeah. on my own. But having this fucking badge of I'm an actor was super helpful. And then having a bunch of badges, like, guess what? All my friends are actors, too. It was like this real sense of worth came with it. And it took the burden off of how much self-loathing I was experiencing. And you were experiencing self-loathing. Almost as a constant. There was an overwhelming sense that I was wrong. There was a, a wrongness. Yeah, you like know. a wrong answer to life. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do you have any specific memories about the, maybe the first or distinct time you experienced this uh, feeling of belonging through acting or through through other actors? Like any anything you want to sort of talk about in particular? Like this one time I was, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow punched me in the face, but she did it as a joke and now we were buddies. That happened to me, actually. The <laughs> lawsuit's still in motion. That, that never happened to but me. But she hurt me but, at a uh, deep level. I, um... I, the, the first kind of experience I had with this, I had been doing, um, uh, Boy Meets World. That was my only job at this point. And I've, I've done a few episodes of it. And, uh, and, uh, I, I wanted to take my dad somewhere nice and, uh, with your money. Yeah. I, pay, I paid for a vacation. At age. 17 crazy yeah and you still lived with your parents or yeah no? crazy crazy we uh i had negative money when i was that age <laughs> I, I was i was paying for trips to islands amazing and we um go down to this island and mostly we we had a little rented jeep and we would drive around and look for beaches where there were no people because i was not super comfortable on a beach and then one day my dad just wanted to stay at the pool, like stay at the hotel that we were at. And I was like, okay, but, but I had a deep feeling of shame, um, that I felt, uh, would bleed over into him as being associated with me. Cause you're fat. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, um, the, there was a point at the pool where some kids saw me and I thought like, this is going to be a shame. Here we go. Moment for my dad, but they recognized me from acting and it was like the opposite. It was this joyous thing for me. And I felt like I'm not shaming him. I'm, um, I'm actually making him proud. So that was kind of the, what became more and more prevalent in my life was the sense of like, if it's, if the attention is taken off of my body and it's just put somewhere else, whether that's a movie I did or I'm friends with this guy or whatever, fucking let's have that let's do that because this is so much better sure so you kind of didn't have to deal with the body stuff anymore you could just you had something else to focus on and it's not like you went at the body shit you kind of put that aside and were like fuck that let's get on this shit yeah damn yeah 
it was just a much um yeah it was i i don't i don't even know that i thought it through so well but i do remember having a moment of fear that i was gonna have a shameful experience in front of my father sure. and then it becoming a moment of pride yeah uh happy memory for you or a mixed mixed memory it's a, one of the happiest one of the happiest yeah okay Perfect segue. Um, if we take your teenage years, let's say uh, since you started acting all the way through when you get into the 18, 19, 20 area, was that a happy time for you or kind of roller coaster time? So if you ask me about my teenage years, were they a happy time? I'd be like, eh, happy is not the word I'd use. We were happy times, but there was a lot of shit going on. What do you think? Or was it mostly like a shitty time with acting as kind of this ray of sunshine in it? Or what do you make of like your teenage years? I think it was a lot of trying to just um, separate myself from reality in the present. And uh, that was done. I really enjoy acting. Like I, I enjoy the moment of the acting. Work. Yeah. That is super enjoyable. Um, but I do think a lot of it, um, part of that joy is that it, it, it is taking me out of right now. I don't have to experience right now because I'm experiencing something else. I'm creating this other thing. This is what I'm experiencing. And it, and pretty much any of it is better than right now. Uh, what was wrong with right now? Right now. For a long time, just sucked because, you know, mentally and physically, um, it, it just was not pleasant. Mm -hmm. So anything that could uh, blunt or change right now was 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 welcome. Yeah. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, let's backtrack mm -hmm. and talk about my favorite subject, drugs. Yes. Um, how, when, why did that start? Uh, I started to drink. When I was young. Um, How young? I mean, I think the first time I ever, like, stole, you know, club brass monkey or something from, Ugh, I'm gonna throw from a liquor from. store. I mean, I didn't know. You sure. couldn't get to the hard alcohol. The Beastie Boys said. The that <laughs> yeah, the brass monkey. There was a song about it. It must be great. Yeah. Um, I was probably 11 or 12. 11 or 12. Uh there was n never really alcohol in my house. Um, I remember one New Year's, there was a bottle of champagne. That's my only memory of alcohol. My dad didn't drink it. My mom had it. Um, but other than that, there was never alcohol in my house. You were not Russian. No. Um, Why did you go and take it? By yourself or with friends? 
the first time was by myself and then i found other kids that would do that and then we you know we had we'd find there was one liquor store um that we knew of in hollywood that would sell us booze that didn't cart us and then if we couldn't get all the way to that liquor store we could fucking sit out in front of any 7-eleven and hire somebody to buy us a carton of beer or something like that Mm -hmm. this was all discovered very very young sure i mean what i consider young if i found out that my 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 youngest kid is 14 if i found out that she was doing this shit today i would be shocked i really don't believe she's doing this sure um famous last words right i'm knocking on wood um (laughs) why so why did you go that first time why did you go I have no idea. I really have no idea. What about second, third, fourth? Like why? I enjoyed it. it? You actually enjoyed the process of being inebriated or the excitement of taking it or both? All of it. The whole thing was fun. It was an adventure. And then it was also... Do kids get hangovers or what? I guess not maybe or just a little? I don't think I experienced a hangover for a long time. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And how regular of a practice was the stealing of alcohol? That wasn't... But it wasn't soup. It wasn't like a daily thing. Um, but when I got a car and I got a little yeah, money, sixteen years old, yeah, and I had money and I could get myself to the liquor store that I knew was not going to card me. It did become fairly daily, regular. Sure. And then your involvement. What, what is it that you were getting at the park? We were buying crack to put onto a joint to smoke Cocoa Puffs, as they called it. That's a hilarious name. Yeah. Was that, was that the shit Toucan Sam is high on? No, no, that's some other shit, Fruit Loops. Um, okay, I'm just going to throw this out there. Sure. I want to see what you think about it. When I was, how old were you then, 12, 14? 12. 12. When I was 12 years old, uh, right about at that time, when it was exactly 12, this one bad girl who everyone kind of had a crush on, uh, we were like sitting out in the hall because like some kind of assignment involved some people going out in the hall and sitting there while everyone else prepped something. And she was like, she started talking to myself and, and one other person about like, like she's like, have you guys tried pot? And I instantly had this revelation that I was speaking to a career criminal <laughs> who was morally bankrupt and I was like, no, and what, and why are you crazy? And like, whatever McGruff the crime dog shit they fed me, I was like, I had like a sense of moral righteousness that I was like, only criminals do drugs. Yeah. And if I start doing drugs, I'm going to be like, I had dreams as a kid of like in the dream, I get addicted to drugs and I'm like, no. And I wake up, like, oh God, I'm not a drug addict. Thank God. Was there any of that association of drugs with don't? For you, or were you like, fuck it? How does that, how does a 12 year old get to crack? Well, I had never smoked crack at that point. Sure. Um, Weed, anything. For me, marijuana was like a treasonous crime, punishable by death, yeah. moral death. Yeah. I, I spent so long being what I considered a career criminal, um, specifically with food, Mm. that I I don't think the progression was so shocking to me. So there was, um, I think, in my own, like, kind of uh, retrospection or trying to be as um, honest with myself as I can be, 
that my progression from lying about food just bled into lying about most stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when it was something that I would hope my kids find to be taboo, it wasn't such a jump for me at that point because I was really accustomed to just doing shit I wasn't supposed to be doing. And maybe like so, sort of the external rules adults imposed on you were all so stupid and caused you so much, I don't want to do this kind of feelings that it just drugs were just another external rule that was like, oh, they told me I can't eat fucking lasagna. They also said I can't smoke weed. Fuck all the above. We didn't even, I mean, listen, drugs in my household were so taboo that they weren't even mentioned by name. Mm -hmm. There was never a, I I think my first, honestly, if I've got to be totally honest with you, my first experience with drugs was probably at like 10 trying to dry out and smoke banana peels because I heard some punk rock song talk about smoking banana peels and I thought, well... If that's a thing, let's try it, um, you know. And what was your motivation? Just like, let's see if this works? Yeah. Damn. Okay. It didn't work. I don't suggest I mean, that's it. just it's not fun. T- medically unwise advice. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. So you had experience with marijuana nice and early, alcohol nice and early. Cocoa Puffs thereafter. Well, I got arrested, so that it took it took a minute. You got arrested. It was a sting operation? No. Um, I mean, maybe they were watching the spot. <laughs> sure. I don't know. I don't think the guy who we were buying it from, I actually, strangely enough, didn't get arrested for that. I got, I mean, I got arrested for that. I got uh, taken to jail because I had nunchucks in my backpack. As every self-respecting twelve-year-old does, dude, you're a fucking superhero at that age, yeah, or villain. I don't know, yeah. And, that, and they were considered a weapon. Uh, nunchucks in California are class A felony. That is so, the funniest shit I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah, so I have a I have a felony weapons possession on my record. Expunged for youth status or no? No, it's on there. Have you ever had to explain that at, like, a job opportunity? I've had to explain that when um, getting, like, global entry. Oh, my God. Um, when I wanted to get, you know, like, TSA for the world, TSA yeah. Pre-Check for yeah, the yeah, world. Yeah. Uh, and they brought it up. They were like, have you ever had an arrest? And they looked at, the girl looked at me like, better fucking answer this honestly. Oh, yeah, sure. And I was like, yeah, I have. I was, I thought it was sealed in because i was a minor i thought Mm -hmm. it was a sealed record but Mm -hmm. yes i have and she was like yeah you have i can see it right here so it's on some file sure they get the good the good files there tsa doesn't fuck around yeah and you had to tell her it was nunchucks uh i did tell her it was nunchucks does she understand what that was well she was just like 1987 felony weapons charge that sounds that's all it says really cool that's all it says and i had to say listen I was 12. I was in a park. I had nunchucks. I didn't know they were as illegal as they are. Sure. I wasn't, uh, you know, sneaking on a plane with a gun. It's not even a functional weapon. For Bruce Lee, it is. Yeah, because he's not hitting himself with a dick with that shit. <laughs> right. Um, when I think 1987 felony weapons charge, I think only one thing. Scarface. Right. Machine guns. Yeah. See, I think in California, that's a misdemeanor. 
but nunchucks are a felony. <laughs> this M16 you have is a misunderstanding. Right. You're not Chuck Norris. Right. Those Chuck, that's unbelievable. Yeah. All right. So, okay. The drugs, through your acting, you, yeah. I assume, continued to use drugs. Not during the time that you were physically being filmed. Oh, but in the got re- there. Okay. But first in your recreation time, you were using drugs. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I I don't think uh, my first year of acting I was ever intoxicated at work. Sure, um, but but you were still using them in the rest of your life, on occasion. On occasion, drinking, yeah, various other things. Yeah, okay. And you thought that was fine at the time, or did you have a sense of like, oh, no, no, no sense of oh. no sense of no. Okay, it's just something that made you feel pretty good, so you did it. Yeah. Okay. There was a real, um, I, I found that I had a real personality when I was on drugs or drunk that I didn't have without that. Um, and it's very, very strange because acting, you kind of invent whatever personality you're doing and then it's all pretend and, mm-hmm. and, um, and drugs and alcohol really allowed me to have that same feeling, but without the invention. Now it's just real. Now I'm just like comfortable being around other people and talking to them. And you weren't. No, not at all. So that kind of explains the drugs, huh? I think so. And so the drugs probably tie into your body weight issues pretty directly then, huh? I I, I believe so. Yeah, there was always a there was always a sense of just, I mean, it always felt like, um, I don't know if it was like depression or anxiety or what clinically it was. Social discomfort. Whatever I had that made me feel like I was, uh, not worthy to Mm -hmm. be myself would go away when I did drugs. Yeah. How did the, did the drug use evolve in sort of in a pattern with the increasing body weight through your twenties or was it kind of like strings of each rather independently or like, was there times when you sort of eased up on the drugs and you gained more weight or were the two sort of unrelated? It was just both the weight was a thing. It sucked. And then you're using drugs cause they're fun. And also you want to get the fuck away from that suck. The only time, no, they they evolved together. Um, th- th- there got to be the point where I was a complete addict, um, and uh, strangely enough, I would I started to have congestive heart failure, and so this um, would show up as like swelling in my feet. And then that swelling would gradually move up my legs. How old were you? 19 or 20. Holy fuck. Body weight? Maybe 21. Um, I I was heavier than could be determined at a doctor's office. 400 plus. I don't know. Yeah. I, I stopped getting on scales at doctor's office when I maxed out the scale. And then I just was never getting on a scale. Sure. Um, 
and I would make up whatever numbers. I would look at their scale, and if it went to 350, I would say I'm 375, and if it went to 400, I would say I'm 405. I'm not, I don't need to get on the scale. That's what I would do. Um, I was heavier than that. Sure. Um, uh, but, uh, so congestive heart failure, I, so I would, um, but what would happen is if I, if I spent a few days not doing drugs, I couldn't sleep or eat, but I could just sit in a chair, the swelling would go away. You couldn't eat. No, not when I was coming off of drugs. Which drugs, if you don't mind me asking? Opiates. I mean, everything. Uh, opiates primarily, um, but like I'd always throw in uppers if I could get them, but that wasn't what I was looking for. I was, you were looking for downers. Yeah. Uh, but but oddly, you know, I remember instances where I would do some opiates and 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 have energy and feel like i could talk to people and sure and um and then i would see people on cocaine having the same experience and i didn't really understand that that's like okay i'll try that too but i actually feel this burst of energy and and um confidence from opiates i i don't know why it's probably because it deburdened your anxiety huh maybe did it feel like it did yeah I felt really confident. Like you weren't as trapped anymore. Yeah. I felt like I was myself when I was doing drugs. Um, and and I felt like I was uh, the, the guy I thought I wanted to be um, who didn't have all these feelings of like self-loathing and, and um, didn't fit in anywhere. Were those feelings worse than usual when you stopped doing drugs for some time? Did they come back avalanche style or just back to normal? The when you're with when I the, the actual act of withdrawing. So so I would gain. I was gaining weight. I wasn't ever losing weight. I, you know that was another thing I, why I thought I was broken because you hear about you see junkies who are thin, and I was a proper junkie but never lost weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would still, you know, go out to a nightclub, have fun, um, be this confident person, and then hit fast food on my way home and eat for six. By yourself? Yeah, at the end of the night. How did that feel, the fast food part? Do you have any guilt associated with it? Or, or was it kind of just, this is going to feel fucking great because it's fucking delicious? There was a, a sense of embarrassment, so... Um, making eye contact with the gal or the dude handing me the food was a moment of that. I felt shame at the drive through. Um, you were sober by then or still high? No, still high. I was high pretty much 24 okay. seven, but even then you were feeling shame. Yeah. About that, that about act. I, I mean, and then I would have these weird mental gymnastics. I would put myself through where I would go like, you know, for some reason, the guy at the AMPM is less of a human being than the guy at the McDonald's, so I don't have to feel shame around him huh. for, for whatever reason. Sure. Because like he's dealing with like real the real dregs who are coming in to buy forties at one forty five in the morning. So you're like a breath of fresh air to him, kind of. I mean, this was completely illogical as I say it now because there's no drive through at AMPM. 
like the actual interaction with a person at a drive through is so much less. Yeah. But that moment was shameful to me. And I would freely walk into an AM PM and buy a bunch of hot dogs and hamburgers um, because I had convinced myself that this guy was more accustomed to seeing shit bags all night. Who's yeah. going into AM PM at two o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning? Just the scum of the earth. So I felt like I fit in there more. Huh. Whereas I, th I don't know why I thought of like whoever is the people working at the drive-thrus were accustomed to a higher class of people. Interesting. This was, yeah, as I say it, it feels illogical, but that's what I believed sure. at the time. Uh, I continued to gain weight, but I would notice um, a deflation every time I would get clean. Now, I was getting clean towards the end periodically. For How old were you then? This was probably 2000, 22, um, You'd build up a tolerance. So I would have to do so much drugs to maintain my high and it would stop being an effective high and just kind of, it was starting to not, I wasn't getting that feeling of confidence. I was just getting like, I'm not miserable anymore, but not much better. Yeah. But I, I wasn't leaving my house much oh, at shit. this point. I you was, were still working. I was still working, but like towards this point, I was experiencing the beginning of congestive heart failure. The drugs were not as potent. Yeah. Um, and so I would take a couple days and fucking sit through hell, unable to sleep and eat. What's that like, Ethan? Um, You know, you have like the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow because you know that when you, by the time you're able to eat something or to fall asleep, the drugs are going to work again. Oh, shit. And the swelling has gone down. So the only times that I would lose weight would be when I would take a break from drugs with the intention of making them potent again. Um, my shoes would fit. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. So the process of withdrawal was very uncomfortable. It's awful. But you held on because you knew, man, this shit is going to feel real good after this. Yeah. And that's why you were doing it. Pretty much. Trippy. Um, what, uh, what took you off that path? How bad did it get? Or is that about as bad as I got? No, it got to the point where I was told by a doctor that um, she, I did blood work because the congestive heart failure, I would do a couple days clean and, and the swelling wasn't going all the way away now. And did you go to the doctor yourself or did somebody say like, hey, you better fuck me. Well, I didn't know what the swelling was. This, I had no idea. So at first for a year... The swelling would just be in my feet, right? Yeah. And I couldn't put shoes on, and it was real weird. And then, um, you know, drugs would become impotent. I would stop, and I would notice the swelling went away. So, okay, it's from the drug use. Uh, That's a reasonable assumption. That, this was my yeah. my, my uh, diagnosis. So it got to the point where the swelling was getting up to my 
uh, waist. Huh. And starting to, like, the part of my stomach that hung over um, was starting to get taut. Whoa. And and so I would try this thing of, like, okay, I'm, go- I'm going up to a week clean. And the swelling was only going down, like, maybe below my knees. And the feeling of relief once it would go below my knees was massive because that swelling in the joints really hurt. Sure. Even with drugs. Um but it wasn't all the way going away. So my calves were still gigantic and taut. And I had, um, you know, and I would try to hide this by wearing sweats and socks all the time and stuff. But I could not put on shoes. Um, so how did you go to work? Maybe at this point I wasn't working. Okay. This was maybe the last stretch. This was when it was really bad. I went to a doctor. And, uh, um, and she did blood work and said, okay, she was talking about like my liver and certain markers in my blood and said, uh, what you have is called congestive heart failure. And that was the first time I ever heard about that. And she said, when that swelling gets to your heart, you're going to die. Um, Basically, it's just your body is uh, retaining fluid, and when the fluid surrounds your heart, your heart can't beat anymore. This was how she explained it to me. I'm not, I'm not a doctor, as you are, so I don't know. No, if I'm that's a fake true. doctor, so I yeah. don't know what the fuck. It sounds um, reasonable. We'll ask your wife. Sure. Uh, and I said okay, uh, and she said I, and we went down the list of all the other shit that was going on in my body. Um, and she basically said, like, I know you're doing drugs, and I think you're going to die whether you stop doing drugs or not. There was this moment where I imagined um, my parents finding me dead, uh, and it was just the swelling that was, you know, something I didn't want them to see. And, uh, and the doctor was like, I can't even really tell, like, you're so big that this swelling is not like, what are you talking about? And I was like, no, but I can tell. Yeah. Um, and I think they'll be able to tell. It all seems completely illogical to me now, but the idea was I just, I'm going to die, but I want this swelling to go away before I die because I don't want somebody to have to see that when whatever they do with a dead body sure, um, involves looking at you. And the best I can do is get rid of this swelling. Look presentable. I mean, not that I would ever claim to look presentable at that point, More but like this idea to me of being swollen was horrifying. Um, what did you think about your impending death? I almost every day I went to bed. I was, I was unable at that point to lay on my back because I couldn't breathe. Um, and I would wake up almost every day surprised to be alive. So that wasn't so upsetting. Mm -hmm. The idea I figured I was dying. The idea that I would die swollen like this was very upsetting to me. And, um, that was really, I had been to rehab a couple of times. How'd that work out? Not well. Mm-hmm. 
wasn't ever something I woke up one day going, I want to go to rehab. Um, Other people checked you in. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, were you just biding your time in there? No, I mean, I'm sure there were moments where I uh, where I could think like, I'd be good to get sober. You know, like I can see the benefit in that. This is not this is becoming not fun. Um, but, uh, but it wasn't ever my idea. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily something I was fighting, but maybe like, you know, my friends are worried about me. I don't want them to worry or my parents are worried about me. I don't want them to worry. So I'll go and do this thing. Um, and maybe it'll stick. I hope it sticks, but it didn't. doesn't sound like there was a lot of conviction behind that. No. Yeah. And then, so, okay, so you, the doctor was like, look, you're going to fucking die a bloated mess. And you were like, no. And you... I went to a rehab. Rehab, okay. I uh, I went to a rehab. Uh, I, uh, I was awake for 11 days straight. Is that possible? It was. The, the, Very pleasant, I imagine. It was a total nightmare. I, um... You had to... There were like two things. First, you get through withdrawing from drugs, and then you go and do like the actual therapeutic part of the rehab. Sure. And uh, if you were lucky enough to be in there uh, coming off of alcohol or benzos, you would do a medical detox where they hook you up to IVs and pump you full of barbiturates and right because you can't come off cold turkey that shit you'll just straight up die or something if if you if you are seriously addicted to benzos or alcohol those are the two things that kill you from withdrawal yeah Yeah. but if you're in there like one of these fucking speed freaks or a crackhead uh you're sleeping and eating that's your withdrawal like i would sit there in total envy of these guys because they would because they haven't been sleeping and eating right and they would be woken up and and they would for meals and they would go and they would get their meal and they would eat it and then they would go back to bed and sleep and they were in and out of there in three or four days um i was in this thing for three weeks because of the opiates yeah 11 days didn't sleep a bite of food here or there but really disinterested in eating couldn't shower um what did you make any sense out of the disinterested in eating thing with your history of eating? It wasn't, I mean, how did it feel? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. It didn't, it, food did not feel good. It didn't like feel it good didn't, in like my it mouth. Usually did. Oh. didn't taste good. Um, uh, once the backup of fecal matter that hadn't been being regularly expelled came out, like giving birth, I thought of it. Um, also unpleasant, I assume. Very unpleasant. But then everything was just liquid from then on for for weeks. Fecal um, matter-wise. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I don't mean to take away from women giving birth, but there was a large mass inside of me that hadn't moved for a long time. Sure. And, um, and I ate. Kind of like a satanic birth. It was awful. Um and then, uh, and then you know, smoked a lot of cigarettes. They give you cigarettes there. I brought cigarettes. You were allowed to have cigarettes. Oh, you were. Huh. Yeah, you were not allowed to have caffeine, 
on this portion of it because okay. I, I think if you're having trouble sleeping, they don't want anything to wind sure. you up at all. Sure. Um, that was the roughest part, and then, you know, the rest is just like, let's try to figure out what you're escaping to, uh, to lead you to this and and deal with it in the actual therapy in yeah. rehab. Yeah. And was that a productive series of conversations? Yeah. Yeah, but I felt very fragile at the end, um, not super confident in myself. Were they expecting you to feel more confident afterwards? I don't know. I don't know. Can it's, you explain it's very, the fragility? Very, very different thing to go from, uh, you know, being in a situation where you don't necessarily have to withhold yourself from doing drugs because there's no drugs mm -hmm. to be done and there's no you're just in a very safe environment to being back into um the environment you were in where your life was a total mess yeah. and there's no structure other than the structure you built for yourself mm -hmm. uh was uncomfortable and had some slip-ups no shit yeah how did you feel about the slip-ups at the time? The slip-ups were so devastating. Um, so then you were on the on the bandwagon of like, this is a bad thing. Yeah. I was, I was interested in that point at not having a return to that. How long were the slip-ups for? Um, what are they called? Benders? Yeah. It, would, it was never more than a day, but it happened a few times. Okay. Any addressing of body weight issues during that time or not yet? I was made to get on a scale while being um, during intake. Uh, that was a, a non-negotiable thing. Uh, and I, that's where I, I they, they didn't have a scale that could accommodate me. So I actually had to buy one and have it shipped there, a freight scale. Um, and I that was the only time I got my weight um, in the whole period of decades um which was 536 pr yeah that's right <laughs> few slip ups later how did you weave yourself out of that lifestyle um i started going out with this girl and who's now my wife and uh and there was a a real um, sense of I'll lose this. This is not something like my parents who are going to be there no matter what. Yeah. She's not going to be there if I, if I fuck this up. Because you liked her a whole lot, I guess. Yeah. And so your coming out of drugs had nothing to do with the transition to fitness whatsoever. Nothing. There was no attempt to diet at that point at all. And she was cool with, was she cool with you being, you know, big as shit or, I mean, she clearly was not cool with you being a drug addict. That was, that was, yeah, there was, that was no. Did you suspect as much or did she say as much? She said it. No shit. Yeah. Prompted or unprompted? Uh, unprompted. She had, uh, experience that with family members. Ah. Yeah. And she was like, look, uh. I'm not 
this is like a one and done thing. I'm not getting on that train. No. If you're struggling with this, figure it out and then come see me. So this is very early in the relationship. Yeah. And you knew this person was going to mean a lot to you kind of situation. Yeah. And you were like, I'm fucking done with this stuff. Yeah. And then for how long after did you not really address your relationship to your body or fitness or weight? It was relatively quick. Um, it was really quick. It was a few months into the relationship uh, where I was um, really looking beyond. First of all, it's the first time that uh, I ever had the attention I wanted um, from a girl that had nothing to do with being an actor or... Um, any of the ancillary things I built up that were components of me that had nothing to do with me. It was the first time that um, I had worth just because of me, and I think mostly because of my ability to talk mm -hmm. to her, uh, because physically I was not in a good state. Um, you know, so mm -hmm. that I think that was very helpful. Was she one of the first people ever to, like, clearly show you she was into the you-you? I mean, I had friends who all cared for me very much. Mm. Um, but as far as, like, girls go, mm. it was the first time I felt that, yeah. Mm. And then, so just shortly thereafter, you're done with drugs. I assume you're back working. Yeah. The mean streets of Hollywood. A yeah. working girl. Yeah. And uh, you get into your first serious attempt to, in your adulthood, try to do something about your physical state? Yeah. I hadn't been thinking about it um, much at all. And, uh, and I had a really brutal conversation with another actor on a plane. And uh, it, it, it kind of caused me to start thinking about it. And then I was thinking about the girl and my life and the future and what I wanted. And, and it was very clear that in order to have a long-term relationship with her, I was going to have to address it. Sure. Define brutal. Um, uncomfortable. For you? Yeah. Not for them? I don't know. I, I, I imagine it's, it was uncomfortable for him, too. Did it was he so... Um, was he push? Uh, he, he or she? He was he pushing at you? Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you got to really address this, or was he like just asking questions? Uh, why? Where, where? From where in did the brutality come? The brutality was him saying, "Like, I see you, and I think you're on the wrong path." And. Um, this was different than my friend saying, like, look, we're concerned, which is also brutal. Sure. This was way more blunt with, like, I live my life this way because of these reasons. You're, what are you doing? Was kind of like that. Did this person have a weight history themselves or no? No. Uh, and in fairness, none of the reasons he gave for why he lives his life the way he does made any difference at all to me sure um but he had reasons he had reasons and uh and and it 
caused me to think about them. And then it caused me to think about the way I was living my life. I, I just hadn't really been thinking about it. To um, find your reasons. Yeah. Uh-huh. How old were you? Ish. 24. 24? Maybe 23. Good time to get your shit together. Yeah. And do you let that conversation mill around your head for a while? Or were you like, did you get off the plane and you were like, I got to do some shit now? I got off the plane. I had a brief layover in um, Frankfurt. I was like... Jet-setting Hollywood motherfucker. Oh, man. I was... Uh, totally destroyed by the conversation. Wow. Um, and then thinking about uh, Brandy, my wife, and I really came to the conclusion that uh, if if I told her, then I was like letting her in on this secret that she couldn't know, which was completely insane. Um but if I didn't tell her, so there was like risk in telling her. Because then it's on the open kind of between you two and you're like. Yes. You put your pride on the line, sort of like your commitment. Yes. Yeah. So if I tell her and I don't win and I'm not successful, I lose. Oh, yeah. But I thought I was more likely to eventually lose if I don't tell her. Mm -hmm. uh, so I thought that the only shot at winning was to tell her that I needed help and to say like this is an issue I'd like to address it can you help me and she was like yeah sure like no problem and I, w I think at that point I was going back and forth to Romania a lot um, I, I don't want to know anything about that Yeah, I was, the CIA was listens to this dark. stuff um, uh, I was only there for on at that point, like I was going to be there for a couple of weeks and then I was coming back to LA for like a nice long period of time, but then I would have to go back to Romania. Um, and she said, do you want to, do you want to like start doing something now while you're there? And I was like, sure. Huh. What do I do? You tell me I'll do that. And she said, all right, uh, don't eat any bread or potatoes. Okay. And I went, Okay. I can eat anything else. She said, yeah, but just for this period. And so for a couple of weeks, I did that. I didn't notice any change, but I noticed that I was able to do that. Like, sure. That wasn't so hard. Right. You weren't like chronically hungry or out of energy or anything. You were like, ah, it's just a thing I'm doing. Yeah. And then um, we talked, you know, every day. And at some point she's like, okay, I've been looking around and I found this thing. You're going to start the minute you get back. I've got it all ready. It involves a lot of like vitamins and pills and I'm going to bag them up for you. So you don't have to think about them. And I'm just going to hand you everything every day and you're going to do it. It's going to be great. Back to drugs. Well, no, I think the pills were all like fiber. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Um, that was never, no, she was not. Yeah. Could you imagine? You're going to do a lot of diet pills. We're going to grind them up and you're going to yeah. snort fat lines yeah jesse pills. from saved by the bell type shit yeah. yeah um and so i got back to la and i'd been doing this thing you know which i which was like so easy like if that's all i gotta do fine but then i knew that that wasn't really the thing that was sure. just whatever i was doing in the moment um and uh she had this, she had found some guy who had a program where it was like a liquid diet where you're drinking a couple protein shakes a day and then some green drink and taking a shitload of fiber. 
um, which to get like really, really graphic and gross everybody out. Like, yes, a few weeks into them, everything is liquid. Everything coming out of me is like liquid. a bird. And whole capsules of undigested fiber oh, shit. are coming Your out body's too. like, dude, enough fiber. We don't need I'm this. not even opening this yeah. anymore. Nothing. Whatever you're taking. Um, we sure as hell not gaining weight at that point. No. I lost 80 pounds in two months. And Dr. Mike's liquid pill fast. Yeah. TM. Available yeah. for sale. Um, and then, you know... They were rough two months, and then I had to go back to Romania to work on a movie, which was like, you know, it's not construction, but it's not, it's not nothing. Um, Fiber pills don't get you through that shit. They don't get you through that. A uh, lot of very lightheaded all the time, and sure. a loss of vision upon standing. Oh, nice. Yeah. Low blood pressure. Yeah. Um, not a terribly bad thing medically, but not great yeah. for work. When I say I lost 80 pounds, too... Let me explain this. I got a scale. The scale was like this um, almost uh, rectangle thing with a circle at the top, and it had like a spring-like needle that would go sure. around. It would go to 300. So the way I gauged my weight loss is when I started, it swung past 300 sure. and up to like 150. And it, by the time it would get there, I thought it was just wound so tightly that it was like dancing, uh -huh. right? It's not like hitting a number and staying okay. there. And so I would get on it every day and it gradually came down by 80 pounds wow. to, you know, 70 or, or whatever sure, it was. Sure, sure. Um, and that's how I gauged my weight loss. Took, took, uh. I think it took about six or seven years before before it got below 300. And, oh, and I was, shit. like, able to go, like, hey, I think this is my real weight. And by the way, it dipped to, like, 298 one day and then was back above that. Yeah. So I, nice. I don't know, but that's how I would go, like, sure. this is really working because it's not it. 200 it's not it whatever sure and uh did you try this is when you tried a whole bunch of different diets i mean yes I, well there was a there was an after portion to this liquid fast that was um i believe based on blood type so i think that was my first experience with the blood type diet which was like now you've done this liquid diet now we're going to move you on to here's a list of foods you're allowed to eat and I, in fairness, got real full off very small meals at that point. And so continued to lose weight in Romania. Not nearly as quickly as I did. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't start putting weight back on either. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I got back and I was done with that movie, um, there was a point where I stopped losing weight on the blood type diet. And so I started to go like, I need another diet. And then we are already familiar with, we did all the diets, all the stuff. Yeah. And maybe someday we'll, I'd love to talk to you about detail of all the diets. Sure.
I really want to do a full episode on the Beverly Hills diet because <laughs> of all the diets I've done, I think it's the most ridiculous. I, I can't wait. We're for sure going to have to do that. Yeah. Um, last question okay. for today. Um, today, now, what is your body image like? <laughs> uh there's a reason it was the last question yeah lots to say i can it's so weird um i have to uh i have to talk myself through it sometimes mm -hmm. uh, because um i can't necessarily objectively tell always you know you and I, we we did a photo shoot. I did a photo shoot, and you were there for it, which was a big deal. Um, it's the leanest I've ever been in my whole life, including after years of riding a bike 40 hours a week. Mm -hmm. um, and I just looked at pictures uh, of that same day with a shirt on and thought I, I, thought, thought I looked a little small mm -hmm. and thought, like, I didn't look as good as I could look. And, and today I feel a little fat, um, a little fat. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, I don't think I'm ever going to feel like a confident person with regard to how I look. I just don't, I don't think that's like, I don't think that's in the cards for me. I remember I was doing a TV show called chance. And, um, this is after I'd been real, real thin but not real lean. And, uh, and I was just like, fuck this. I'm going to just lift weights and eat everything. And I got up to almost 400 pounds. And there was a point where I like was looking in the mirror at almost 400 pounds just because my trap muscle mm -hmm. was slightly above my shoulder. And I was like, fuck yeah, that's awesome. Um, interesting. That lasted about 30 seconds before, you know, I caught another angle of myself and was like, Oh no, I'm a piece of shit. Um, I, I don't know that I'm ever going to, I don't know that I'm ever going to feel super confident about how I look. I don't know that that's in the cards for me. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. When, uh, walking around outside. Like right now, we're recording this in like what Beverly Hills or some shit like that. Uh, we think people think. So I'll, I'll got a good good startup question for you. What do you think people think of me when they see me walking around this neighborhood? You look like an Adonis. <laughs> you do. That's really what you think. I think they think that you look intimidating. Intimidating. Yeah. Somebody who is very muscular. Yeah. Okay. How do you think you look like to people, not to yourself, to people, regular 50-year-old lady walking her dog, 15-year-old girl getting coffee for her and her friends? What are, you, what are you looking like? Well, I have flat feet. And I think my gait has been affected because I was so heavy for so long. And especially during my... Um, uh, formative years, whatever that is. Whenever you're developing things like a gait, I was really overweight. And so I feel like 
if they're first spotting that and how my feet kind of cave in a little bit, I think that's probably the first thing anybody sees. Okay, go on. Um, and then if I get a sense that they're looking at me, I might try to hold my breath so that my stomach doesn't stick out too much. And then maybe they'll see somebody who has put some effort into it. Just some. I don't know. If they if they know who I am, then they'll know that I've put a lot of effort into it. But if they don't, they think like, oh, here's a guy that's trying a little bit. He's not a total slob. I don't know. Today I feel a little slovenly. Mm-hmm. Today, today is not the best day for feeling like I'm not a total slob. But no, I am not a total slob today. Okay. Today, uh, today is a pretty good day. But but then again, I look at um, pictures at the end of a cut and and like when I've really squeezed every last bit of water out of my tissue and and then even added carbs to pop, mm-hmm. and I just think like, fuck, I'm not happy with that. But it's no longer that I'm too too big. Mm-hmm. I'm clearly not fat. Right. Um, You're not jacked enough. I'm not jacked enough. Do you think the people on the street think that when they see you? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Do you care about what they think? Not really. Because you're an adult now. I think, yes. I think, by the way, um, having kids, having a wife, uh, I have stopped caring to some degree about what other people think, which I, which is a relief. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that I'll ever solve how I feel Sure. in a, in a really organic way. I can, I can walk myself through my nonsense now, Sure. which I was never able to do prior. There was no amount of, there was no point of view I could take where I could feel some sense of self-worth sure. at all, unless I looked at things external from me. External from me, being an actor is cool. Sure. But that's nothing to do with me. Right. Me, me, the flesh and blood and my mind, I still have to convince myself of self-worth sometimes. Yeah. It is a daily struggle for many of us. Yeah. I'll tell you right now. Um, so I'll tell you two things. First of all, um, I'm going to share with you what, what I think you look like. Because I look at a lot of men. Yeah. <laughs> My wife thinks it's a problem. We're in therapy for it. Um, so I think the average person on the street probably thinks when they see you that that is a very muscular person who probably has a a physical intimidating job like a bouncer or like maybe he's in the movies playing a guy who's like ex-military and who hurts people. That's pretty funny. The way I would, yeah. So like your triceps pop out too far from your elbows for it to be like mistaken for anything else. And your forearms are distinctly muscular and they have veins. When people see arms like that, they're like, it's like this person could hurt me and I better be nice to them. That's what you look like. That's what I want. That's what I want to look like. Success. Yeah. I feel like it's a work in progress still. 
all, always, of course. Yeah. But I just think that, you know, it's like you have like a really souped up muscle car and you think you're not fast enough because you're only going 290. Right. You know, uh, but to the average person that sees a car fly by 290, they're like, they just piss their pants. Yeah. Right. But admit 290 muscle car. If you can get the extra fuel intake and do some work and get it to 300. Fucking. Dude. Why do you think I look like this? Yes. Thank you. Um, but I think it's important to hear that every now and again. Yeah. Because you're like, I look at a lot of muscular people. It's part of my job. And I would never mistake you for someone who's kind of just trying. You're like, God damn, that motherfucker's not just trying. He's got big ass arms and traps and all that shit. So it's it's a thing. It's yeah. a thing. Uh, and then secondly, um, and uh, thank you so much for, for chatting about this. Thank you. That's I thing. appreciate it. Yeah, it was uh, cathartic. Yeah. A lot of this is stuff I've not talked about. I can tell. Mostly the drugs. Well, a lot of it. The drugs were the easily the least interesting part of this yeah. whole thing. We've all been through our shit with drugs. Yeah. Some of us are still in our shit with drugs. Uh, oh. <laughs> I was definitely looking at Scott the Sound Guy for that Yeah, one. and Pookie. Pookie. <laughs> um, thank you. And hopefully you'll have me back on at some point to bother you and pester you more about your uh, in-depth reviews of the various diets that were in that middle part of your We got to do that. Yeah. I think it would be really important for yeah. people to hear. Um We'll sign some liability forms and make sure Beverly Hills Diet doesn't sue us or some show. Is that even a thing anymore? Is that a company that's operating enough to sue us? I don't know. Yeah. I think I have the book. Um, <laughs> You're like, I pay good money for this book. Consider this a book review. Yeah, fuck. I hope I can find this book because it, it's like a a hardcover book with an embossed um, gold pineapple on the front. That's serious. It's fucking, it was a, I mean, this was like my Bible. As yeah. I did, the first time I did that diet, I was a little kid. And I was like, pineapple? Good. Sign me up. I'll eat 14 pineapples today. Oof. Yeah. Goodbye enamel. Yeah. That's all I have to say if you want to outro or. Um, thank you, Dr. Mike. My pleasure. It's been a pleasure. I can't wait for the next one. That sounds great. And now for the Q&A. Josh. That was my Kermit the Frog. Oh, I liked it. Will you do it again? No. Okay. <laughs> this is for you from Josh. Hi, Josh. Josh says, um, through listening to this podcast, I'm trying to make the changes to feel better and be healthier. Can you recommend any books about tracking macros and such for beginners? I'm trying to educate myself and I don't know where to start. Totally. Um, so the two books off the top of my head are... Uh, Renaissance Diet 2.0, I think that's what it's called, and um, Fat Loss for Life. Is that it? Fat Loss for Life or Fat Loss Forever? Uh, those are the books by uh, Dr. Mike Isratel and uh, Dr. Lane Norton. Those two books have so much valuable scientific data in them they cover the macros really well. Um, those are my two favorite diet books. Um, yeah, I, that's it, right? Yeah, I don't awesome. Have to say anything else? No. Well, that's that was easy. Thank you, <laughs> what, Mike. That was Josh. Josh, thanks, Josh. If you have a question that you would like me to answer on this podcast, please submit it to AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. <laughs>